Hello, friends. Alan Kirshner here from Eschatos Ministries. Since we went live with Bible Prophecy Daily, we have delivered a program every weekday to listeners. With a premillennial, pre-wrath, rapture focus, our Bible teachers are the best at helping Christians understand and prepare for Christ's return. Would you prayerfully consider your regular support of this ministry? You can easily do so by clicking the support button in the corner of the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. It's another episode of Bible Prophecy Daily. I'm your host for this episode, Jake McCandless. I'm a pastor, church planter, and lead a ministry called Stand Firm. You can learn more about me and the ministry at StandFirmMinistries.com. And today we're going to continue talking about the church at the end of the age. This discussion is a continuation of my previous episode. I hope you've had a chance to check it out. In that episode, I shared something that I share very often, and that's that Bible prophecy reveals as much about the church at the end of the age as it does the Antichrist, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, all those things. So we tend to think about, okay, the rise of the Antichrist, the political situation, the military events, the disasters and the calamity and all of those things, but there's a lot said about the condition of the church And most all of those passages are horrific. But you catch glimpses of the church in the end of the age looking at the church at its beginning. Dalton Thomas of Frontier Alliance International talks about it being the church in splendor. I began the previous episode by talking about how that maybe the best description of the church at the end of the age comes from Charles Dickens' famous quote in how he starts his book, A Tale of Two Cities where he says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That's the church at the end of the age. That's us. Again, multiple passages that you can go to and see these pictures of the church at the end of the age. But there's three where I see both of these in the same breath. The best of times and the worst of times. I thought I could get them all in in the previous episode, but we only got to one. Matthew 24. 9 through 14, the second half of those beginning of the birth pains, where it talks about many will turn away due to persecution. They will betray and hate one another. Love will grow cold. But in that context, we see the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. And it's an image that repeats itself throughout history. When the church is persecuted, when the church is scattered, when the church is on the run, that is when it's most powerful, and that is when the gospel spreads. We see this right now in persecuted lands. You can pull up a list of the places that are most persecuted for Christians and then pull up a list of where the gospel is growing the fastest. And they're nearly identical. Unfortunately, it goes hand in hand. Persecution and power within the church. I mentioned two other passages. I want to look at those in this episode. The first one. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, begins, I saw under the altar 
the souls of those who had been slain. Worst of times. The church slain. I'm going to skip down. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told, Await a little longer, until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This seems to especially be during these first seal events. So here at the end of the age, many believers being slain, being killed. But I skipped a passage in there. The second part. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So most of this passage talked about the worst of times. Those being slain, those being killed, those being persecuted. But did you catch that? Why are they being persecuted? Because of the word of God and their testimony they had maintained. So this image of the church, this image shows believers being killed. We know elsewhere, when we read of the persecution, at the end of the age, we see beheadings. So Christians losing freedom, on the run, being slaughtered, yet they remain faithful to the word of God and to their testimony. They maintain it against all odds. Now, likely you've been in a church service and heard someone's testimony of great difficulty, but they held on to the Lord. They persevered, and, and usually it's in one of those testimonies where there's almost a standing ovation. There's amens around the room. There's hooping and hollering. You know, somebody pulls out the tambourine. Whatever. It's powerful. And when you see others stand in great difficulty, it then fuels others to do the same. And if this is how the church is being, being slain right and left, but yet people are holding on and standing firm. There's power in that. And it breeds power into the church. And again, throughout history, we see this. And today, in the persecuted countries, we see this. As someone continues to stand, even though they lose their freedom, even though they are persecuted, even though they may be put to death, yet they still believe they do not recant, it fuels others to take the same stand. It fuels others to spread the gospel, even against all odds. And it especially fuels people to come to Christ. Most of my ministry with Stand Firm focuses on the emerging generation. How can we help the emerging generation be a Maranatha generation? How can we change the odds where we see Anywhere from 65 to 85% of children raised in church turning from the faith. How do we change that? That's, been a, that's a big focus of Stand Firm. And surprisingly, according to a Barna poll, what the major reason children raised in church leave the faith is because they do not see the church taking risk. They see the church playing it too safe. They don't see something worth holding on to. Just to give you an idea of how real this is, I read an article during the, the height of ISIS, I think it's 2014, of these young girls from Kentucky who 
left to be the wives of ISIS fighters, 14-year-olds. Fortunately, they were caught, brought back home. And when they were asked why they were doing this, they said, we wanted to give our lives to something that counts. We saw that these men were giving their lives to what they believed in. Now, I read that from a distance. Blew my mind. Well, a few years down the road, I had the opportunity to speak to a 19-year-old face-to-face. And she tells me her hero for most of her life was Osama bin Laden. I'm like, that is absolutely crazy. And she said how much she admired that he was willing to go to such lengths to do what he believed in and continue in his beliefs, no matter what the cost. This American girl, this young girl, seeing 9-11 and her response is, not compassion on her own country, but to the masterminds behind it and saying, they're the ones who are standing for what they believe in. Absolutely crazy, but that's how we're wired. And so as we remain in this, this bubble here in the West, here in America, we see a faith that's flat, powerless, denying the power of godliness because there's not that challenge. So we can see in the clash of these things how, how they're colliding. The church is being pressured. Some are turning away. Many are turning away. Many are being killed. But yet the church is gaining power. I talked about in that previous episode, like, I do not want to face these difficulties. I sure don't want my children, grandchildren facing this. But at the same time, I do want to taste what the church was like in the first century. I do want my children to experience the power that could be in Christ. And actually, if they will hold on to their faith, they will experience the power of the Lord in a way that we haven't. So that's from Revelation 6, and we see a, a few other similar passages in the book of Revelation with that. But I want to be sure to get to this next one. Bouncing back to the Old Testament, Daniel 12. I just love this passage. I mean, Daniel is so powerful. You know, this the unfolding of prophecy seemed to be re- repeating, and then the long extended prophecy we see at the end of the book of Daniel, and then how the Lord wraps it up. But listen to how we see the best of times and the worst of times. Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3 says, There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. (laughs) Okay, worst of times, right? (laughs) Read it again. There will be a time of distress such such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Yeah, the worst of times. The ultimate worst of times. But then we read, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. Now, NIV does not do the best job, I don't think, with this. Because I believe what we're reading here, it is those who are wise, as they're shining with brightness, they're leading others to righteousness. Wise. In the terms of understanding the times, wise as in knowing this is only short term. This is only temporal. Something greater lies ahead. This is the only place in Daniel where it speaks of this wise group set aside at the end of the age. And this is probably the topic for another episode. 
But I really believe for me and you, for the host here, for you listening and tracking in these things, listen, I want to help people wake up now and prepare and be ready and make the most of whatever little time is left of this age. But I believe what the Lord is ultimately doing with us is preparing us to be the ones that are called the wise ones here. Now, I probably never need to have the phrase wise attached to me. But the Lord has had me on a journey to rethink, reevaluate every position I stood on regarding the end of the age. To really throw everything that I thought in the trash and just to reread the scriptures for what it says. Challenge me to change how I do ministry, how I do church, how I pastor, how I plant churches, all those things to do differently, to be ready for a time that's ahead. Now, I wish it could make more of an impact now, but I believe it's more in this preparing for this time. And I want to say, I believe that's what God has drawn you here for this. For all the episodes on this podcast, the Lord is bringing you here to prepare you to be one of those wise ones who will shine in the darkness, and will lead others to righteousness. I know people talk about this great revival at the end of the age. I don't see it in Scripture in in terms of like this great awakening, thousands being saved, you know, almost like a stadium-like revival. But rather I see this powerful remnant emerging where there's no bull, no bull crap Christianity, no clowning around. Just genuine, sincere followers of Christ who would give their life to hold on to Him and stand for Him, seeking the Lord and Him revealing what He's up to. And as the world gets darker, those in that remnant will shine brighter and others will want that. That's what I believe this is talking about. There's a passage in Philippians uh, 2 which if you read most cross-references, they don't point back to this passage in Daniel 12, but I think it's possible that it should. Listen to Paul's words. It says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I think it's a great chance he's alluding back to even Daniel here. As the generation around us around us becomes more warped, becomes more crooked, becomes darker, the brighter we will shine. The problem is, is where we're at right now. It's like we're in this like huge mud pit. And even me and you who are trying to hold firmly to the word of God, trying to walk in righteousness, we're still covered in mud. And we don't realize it. And we we know we're less muddy maybe than people around us, but we're still muddy. There's not much distinction. And unfortunately, what Scripture seems to say, what history has shown us, is it takes a clear darkness for the church to begin to shine. And as you can see there in Daniel 12, the time of distress, unlike has ever happened since the beginning of the nations. Yeah, the worst of times. But then that's that remnant who God's been preparing, who are wise and understand the times, and they're shining like the brightness of heavens, of the heavens, and they're leading many to righteousness. Now that is what we ultimately want church to be. I mean, that's pretty much the application of the closing of every sermon I've ever preached. 
and universally it's going to be happening to the church. But in this worst of time, many will turn away. And I hope that you want to be one of these wise ones leading others to righteousness rather than one that has turned away, that has rebelled against the Lord. And I believe that starts now. I believe the Lord is preparing us now. It doesn't mean we have to have it all figured out. I think it doesn't mean a lot of things, but it, we need to be prepared. I just want to make this note. When we talk about standing firm, a lot of times we, we think of, you know, like taking bold stands, you know, boycotting this, boycotting that, saying no to this, standing tall. Yeah, that, that's, that's some of it. But ultimately, the standing firm that we see over and over in Scripture, it's holding firmly. It's not backing down. It's pushing through. It's persevering. And so I don't believe the test right now is just how big of a bold statement can you make? How boldly can you stand against something? How boldly can you make a statement or make a post? I don't think that's the question. It's how patient can you wait when things are difficult? How can you push through when things are hard? I think that is the measure. So the church at the end of the age, the best of times, something that should excite us, a second heroic age of the church, but the worst of times, a reality we need to know, we can understand, we need to be prepared for, but we shouldn't fear. Rather, we should be excited that what we dreamed about the church being, it will be, it's just not going to be through a program we created, a strategy we, we came up with, a building we built, a program we started, whatever. That's, that's not how it's going to happen. But with our backs against the wall, in utter darkness, in the time of distress unlike has ever happened, it's then that we will shine like stars and the church will have her best of times. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.